Let's pray. Father, thanks very much for uh, our time together this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you have done a great work in our lives, uh, a work that is beyond what we could possibly comprehend. Uh, we sing about it, we read about it, we talk about it, and it is still overwhelming that the God of the universe took on flesh, came like us, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again. Not so that he could stand in the presence of the Father, but so that we could stand in the presence of the Father. So we're amazed today, and we are grateful today. So as we open up the Word of God, not only in this class, but as students do throughout the building, Father, I just pray your Spirit would do a great work and that we would see you and that we would worship you and that we would be careful to learn from you for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We are going to talk about the baptism of Jesus Christ today. And I think that the quarterly did a stellar, tremendous, outstanding job on their presentation. So if you have the quarterly and didn't read it and you want to afterwards, it's good stuff. They did a great job in expressing and explaining and laying out the baptism of Jesus. Um, they just did a, a super good job. I want to read, a, uh, read the introduction to you, a little bit of the introduction as we get started this morning to set the stage and the tone of, uh, of what we're going to be studying. The quarterly says both John the Baptist called repentance and his emphasis on baptism were necessary for the first readers of Matthew's gospel. Like you and me, the first readers of this story needed to experience repentance, a word that in the original language means to turn around. Christian repentance is turning around, turning from sin and turning to God in faith. And just like you and me, the readers of Matthew's gospel needed to develop a lifestyle of repentance. And that's important. We're going to talk about that in a little while here. This idea of a lifestyle of repentance. This is not just something that I do once and I'm done. Every day presents another opportunity to realize afresh our need for the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. The one who identified with us through his baptism. The one who identified with us through his baptism. Baptism is an act with several layers of meaning. John's baptism focused on repentance and preparation for the coming kingdom. Christian baptism in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit gives us further, goes further, symbolizing our sins being washed away, representing death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, and marking one's formal entrance into the community of believers in Jesus. <clears throat> in this session, we are introduced to John the Baptist, the prophet who prepared the way for Jesus' public ministry. John prepared the way by preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins by baptizing people as a sign of their allegiance to God. Jesus chose to be baptized even though he was sinless in order to identify with his sin, sinful people and provide an example of righteousness. So <clears throat> sometimes you wonder why it is that Jesus got baptized. There's the answer. It's been given a couple times. That is the simple, straightforward answer. He was baptized in order that he might identify with us, that he might be an example of righteousness for us. Okay? And, and we'll tie that in at the end of our class. But 
much of what Jesus did, he did that he would be an example for us and say, this is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to be doing. And that's exactly what the baptism was all about. In Matthew chapter 3, let's read this and then we'll break it down and we'll look at it a little at a time. Matthew chapter 3. It says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff, chaff with the unquenchable fire. All of the Gospels have this, this thing in there that is talking about John being who John is. Um, let's look at, um, go to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1. First couple of verses simply said, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Luke chapter 3. We have the same thing. Luke records it in chapter 3, verse 4. We have that same thing. Uh, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all the flesh will see the salvation of God. And then we'll go to the John um, passage in just a moment. But it is interesting that, that the, all of the gospel writers talk about John the Baptist. It was an incredibly important thing to understand that the way needed to be prepared for Jesus. Okay? And that's what John was doing. We have had a 400 year gap, a time of silence where no prophets there's been no message. There's been nothing that has been going on when it comes to God dealing with his people in the way that we read throughout the Old Testament. It's been 400 years of what we call the silent um, period. Then all of a sudden, John the Baptist burst upon the scene. Now, you know enough, and we've studied the Gospels enough to understand that the situation when John and Jesus started to do their ministry with Judaism was a warped form of of the Old Testament Judaism, right? Okay, and you need to be reminded of that regularly. 
Okay, we look at that and we think, why is it that John said you brood of vipers to the religious leaders? Why, what was going on? Because they had warped it. It was not what God had set up in the Old Testament. They had warped it and they had changed it, all right? And it had become a very self-serving, very works-oriented. It had become a power-hungry type religious system. So John came and he declared, it is time to get right. It is time to get where you need to be, it is time for you to repent so that you can get ready for one that's about to come who is Jesus the Messiah, God in flesh. And the way that he did it, he began by saying, <clears throat> quoting the words of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then Luke goes into further detail. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will welcome uh, will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So what this is referring to with Isaiah <clears throat> was that when a, when a conquering king would come home from war, they would go before him, and they would make the road straight and smooth. They'd fill in the dips, they'd take down the hills, and so that when this conquering king came, he didn't have to go up and down and around. He would come home on a smooth, straight road, and he would be celebrated, and he would be acclaimed as, you did a remarkable, wonderful thing, and we're glad that you're ours, and you're glad that you're the king. We're glad that you won, and all those things. Okay? That's what this is talking about in the Old Testament context. In the New Testament context, it is talking about the fact that we need to make straight that which is crooked in our lives. Okay? To a certain degree, that's what repentance is, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. We need to make straight that which is crooked in our lives. Okay? And common language that we use will help us understand that. Are you walking the straight and narrow way, for instance? Well, no, I'm wandering. <laughs> well, get back to where you need to go and walk that straight line so that you are doing what you need to be doing. Okay? That was the idea here, is to make straight that which is crooked, okay? Go to John, and then we'll come back to this. I, I wanted to deal with that because Luke did such a great job of, of doing what he did. Go to John, chapter 1. <clears throat> now, John's a little bit different, and so we're going we're gonna to go through this because I think it's really pretty cool what happens here in the Gospel of John with John the Baptist. John, chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him to priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, I am. He answered, No. Then they said, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John's soul purpose once he began his public ministry and that's all we have on record here once he began his public ministry what was John's sole purpose proclaim Christ, proclaim Christ. what somebody else said it differently to repentance somebody else said it differently somebody there were a couple of voices to point to proclaim Christ it's exactly right okay now as a believer, once your life has been changed, whenever that happened, in essence, what is your life 
all about? Proclaiming Christ. We're not all that different than John the Baptist, are we? You don't have to live in the desert, and you don't have to wear the funky clothes that he wore, but we're supposed to be all about proclaiming Christ, pointing to Christ. As believers who have been redeemed, who have been changed, we're supposed to constantly be saying, it's not me, it is him. John the Baptist said that I need to, anybody remember the passage? I need to decrease and he needs to increase. That was his point. Is our life any different? No. And yet, it probably appears different and we might even struggle with it ourselves and the reason why that is is why? Pride, sin, bashfulness maybe, priorities, approach to life, fear. There's a lot of things that go on. We need to understand what is the point and the purpose of our lives. Why do we exist? Why are we on this earth as believers? To proclaim Christ, to point to Christ. We're no different than John the Baptist. Let's keep reading in John. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and they said, Why then are you baptizing if you are not Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love this passage. You guys know that. I read this every once in a while. A lot of times before we have the Lord's Supper, I read this. I think it's the coolest thing in the world is that they were just walking along. There's Jesus. There's John. John had a group of followers, and he stopped, and he pointed toward Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did his followers know what he was talking about? Yes. Absolutely they did. Why? Yes, and they did. There's no doubt they did. Why? Because why, Randy? Say it loud. Okay, he had been proclaiming them all along. Yeah, Randall? Yep, he'd been proclaiming. Exactly right. And he used that term that took them right back to that significant moment that they got. The Lamb of God. Okay. Right. Exactly right. All about the Lamb of God. Exactly right. So I'm convinced they knew. I'm convinced his followers knew when he pointed to him. When he said that, I'm convinced they understood exactly what it was. And especially because of his terminology. Okay, the Lamb of God who takes what's in the world. Because as we've been studying over and over again, the Old Testament is a book about what? Proclaiming Jesus Christ. Exactly right. Pointing toward Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading here real quick. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John's declaring the deity of Jesus Christ right here. I did not recognize him, but so that you might, he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have 
seeing the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He who, whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who is baptized in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. He went beyond simply saying, Look, it's the Lamb of God, and he explained to them exactly who he was, and John knew who he was because of what happened at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And the Father made it all clear what was going on there, okay? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 3. So, the cry for John is, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We need to make straight that which is crooked in us. And as John was proclaim, uh, proclaiming that, and as we even think about it today in our lives, we ask the question, how do we spiritually make straight that which is crooked? And the answer is, we repent. We repent. To change one's mind, to change one's purpose, to turn about, to go another way, Repentance is, in effect, a transformation of one's goals and attitudes of life. It is, indeed, a total change. That's what, that's what repentance is. That's what transformation is. Repentance for past sins and the future submission to God. Not only do I turn away, but I'm turning toward God, and I want to submit to Him from this point forward. That's what repentance is all about. He is now the Lord of my life. And as I am a person that understands repentance, I understand that I need to be a person who is going to be dying to sin on a regular basis because I am going to repent, and that is going to be a big deal with me as a believer, okay? And I want you to think in those terms this morning. I want you to think in terms of repentance needs to be a big deal with us today in our lives still. Repentance is not that thing whereby you grab onto it at salvation and you never worry about it again. That is not what the Bible teaches, and that is not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is that we are convicted. What do we do when we're convicted? We repent. We say, Lord, you have shown me that that thing is against you. So by the power of the Spirit inside of me, I want to turn away from that. I want to turn towards you, and I want to submit to you as the Lord God in my life right now. That's the life of a Christian. That's what we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis. Okay? This never is going to stop for us because we're always going to be convicted about something else, and the Lord is always going to take us a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. Okay? And we need to come to grips with the fact that there are things in my life that I need to turn away from and I need to continue to embrace the Lord and continue to make Him the Lord of my life and submit to Him over and over and over and over and over again. That's what I need to do. And in doing that, I am proclaiming, look at Jesus. Look what He's done in my life. Look at how he's done this great work. Look at how he's transformed. Look at what he does in my life.
Okay? That's our call. That's what we're supposed to do. Let me read to you from the quarterly under the commentary part of it. It says, John's message focused on repentance and the coming kingdom of heaven. Jesus emphasized the same thing from the outset of his ministry. The kingdom is defined as the rule which God exercises through the person, work, and teachings of Jesus. The call to repent means we, means we must abandon sinful lifestyles and express sorrow for sins. Matthew's application of Isaiah 43 to John the Baptist tells us as much about Jesus as it does about John. After all, in its original context, the prophecy spoke of one who prepared the way for the coming of Yahweh, God himself. By using a text about the coming of Yahweh to describe the coming of Jesus, Matthew proclaimed that Jesus is divine. John's garment was similar to Elijah's, and his ministry and his lifestyle paralleled, paralleled Elijah's also. Jesus explained the significance of these parallels in Matthew 11 and in Matthew 17. Although the Jews required the Gentiles, listen closely, although the Jews required Gentiles to immerse themselves in water in order to convert from paganism to Judaism, all right? Baptism was a long-standing practice with Judaism. And if you were, if you were a non-Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, one of the things you needed to do was baptism, okay? You needed to be circumcised. You needed to learn the Pentateuch. You needed to jump through their hoops, all right? Although Jews required Gentiles to immerse themselves in water in order to convert from paganism to Judaism, listen closely, John demanded that repentant Jews be baptized as well. This bold move implied that Jews did not belong to God merely by virtue of their descent from Abraham. The quarterly did a great job with this this week. Okay? Just because they were able to trace their lineage back to Abraham did not mean they were spiritually okay with God. Just like a modern parallel... Just like, just because you may have grown up in a Christian home does not automatically make you saved today. Okay? Same kind of thought. Like anyone else, ethnic Jews needed to repent in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Unlike the repetitive ritual washings of other, other religious groups, John's baptism appears to have been a one-time event associated with a permanent repentance and a transformed life. That's exactly what John the Baptist baptism was all about. They did a great job with that. It was, you need to come to grips with the fact that just because you can trace your family line back doesn't mean you're where you need to be with God. Because being where you need to be with God is always always, always a matter of the what? Heart. That's exactly right. It's a matter of the heart. Where are you with God? Where are you with God? What in the world is going on with you on the inside? So John came to do this. We recognized who he was, what the situation was. It tells a little bit about John in Verse 4, verses 5 and 6, Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they were confessing their sins. God at work. We see God doing a great thing here. Okay? Because God was preparing the hearts of the people for when Jesus burst upon the scene. All right? And so all these people were coming, and they were repenting, and they were getting ready 
for the kingdom of heaven that was about to be seen in some amazing ways. All right? A public declaration. I have changed is what these people were doing. That's what it was. I am ready for God to work. Okay? Now I want you to notice something. In Matthew chapter 3, right away, John is doing what he's doing, and he is calling for people to be baptized, and they wanted to be baptized in the Jordan River. Okay? And they confess their sins. Folks, a walk with God has never, 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 never been a private matter. Never. A walk with God throughout the entire Bible from the start to the finish has been a public thing. Look at me. I'm changed. And there are way too many people that say, you know what, my, it's between me and God and it's a private thing. They're not understanding the Bible well at all. It is not simply that. Because the reason why it's a public thing, why a baptism's a public thing, is because the point and the purpose of our life is to what? Proclaim Jesus. Look what Jesus has done. These people went on down to the Jordan. Okay? Now, let me just do something real quick here and, and fast forward and you look at all of the, the Gospels and you look at the book of Acts and <clears throat> you, you see that, that baptism was one of those things that was important and immediately after salvation, it was taught in there. We've separated a little bit too far. We threw out the baby with the bath in, in evangelical fundamental circles. <clears throat> they, they had it very close with their salvation. Why is that? Because Christianity, as we read in the New Testament... They were not allowed to do what they were doing, right? They were meeting in secret, right? They were doing their thing. So it's one thing for you in the secret meeting to say, yeah, I think I love this Jesus guy, and I think I want to follow Jesus. And you're talking to a group of people that needed to depend upon other Jesus followers for their very existence. They needed to depend upon Jesus' followers for their jobs and for their food and for their commerce and for their encouragement and everything because life was so miserable for so long. They needed other Jesus followers. And so for them to say, yeah, I want to be a Jesus follower, that's really cool. Let's trot on down the river and let's baptize you. Well, now, hold on. What, what if my boss is walking by at that moment? Yeah, what if? What if my neighbors happen to see it? Yeah, that might happen. What if the authorities are doing whatever the authorities do on this particular day at that particular spot? Yeah, that might be. Let's go down to the river and baptize you. We fail to understand, we, here in the United States of America, we fail to understand the pressure these people had and the pressure that many people around the world have when it comes to trotting on down to a public place and being baptized. Our kids, Ben and Kim, who, by the way, are in the United States of America, makes a dad's heart very pleased. They, uh, they tell us that, that it really doesn't, that your Christianity really isn't marked from the time you're saved as much as it marks from the time you're baptized in Nepal. Let's stand in front of whoever wants to watch and let's be baptized. And let's identify with Jesus Christ publicly. Because Christianity has never been a private affair. 
It's always been a public affair. Okay? It's okay for you to stand on top of the roof and shout out, I love Jesus. It's all right. You can do that. Well, yes, ma'am. Yes. If you make, make that recognition, then it is that you are ostracized from the tribe. Good point. Adeline just said that it is happening here in the U.S. with the Hopi tribe, for instance, which she is a member of, that when you make that profession, that baptismal thing, then you are ostracized. That is, your, that is the thing that you do that says, I am turning away from that, and I'm turning toward God, right? So it is going on. That's a very good point. Thank you. Appreciate that. So that is, that is, that's kind of the norm around the world. As it was pointed out when Jeff Jackson came and presented some things a couple weeks ago from Shepherd Staff, we in the U.S., we're the 20%, the rest of the world's the 80%. That was an eye-opener for me. Okay? The rest of the world thinks differently than we do and sees things way differently than we do. Okay? So let's go back to Matthew 3. Keep reading here a little bit. So God's doing this incredible work. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to come from the wrath to come. Okay, let me just stop for a sec. First of all, I love the fact that, that John uses bold language like that. That's cool. You brood of vipers. Okay? I like it. So that was pretty cool. So he, he was upfront about the fact that, that you guys are snake in the grass. All right? You guys are snakes in the grass is what you are. That's what he was saying. Okay? Then he said this, who warned you? What was the answer? Who warned you? Why are you here doing this? What was the answer? And the answer is this, the mass of people that they needed to keep under their thumb, they were the ones warning them. In other words, if the people are doing this and they think that's important, maybe we should trot on down the river and join the procession and be a part of it so that people know that we're where we need to be also so that they will continue to follow us and will continue to, to do our thing. And we can say that because this is the inspired word of God and we know that they were not there for repentance. Okay? No, I don't believe he did. I think he said, and they said, yeah, we're out of here. That's exactly right. Okay? You brood of vipers who warned you, and then he said this, he said, for I say to you that, these, that, from, that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to God. You know what kind of an attack that would have been on the religious leaders of this day? That you're not all that special? God can raise up even the stones. Okay? By the way, that's a good reminder for us, isn't it? You are special. And we say that. We teach our children that. We say that in all sorts of different ways. You are special because why? You've been redeemed. You're special because of this celebration we're going to do. You're special because of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. He did the work. You did not. You're special because he said, I choose you. Okay? You're not special because you what? Because you did anything wonderful, right? You're not special because you're head and shoulders above the rest of the crowd. That's exactly right. You're not special because you did anything wonderful. You're special because of who you belong to, not because of what you did to get there. Okay? And there's a, that's a big, important difference. All right? So, 
he said to these guys, watch out. And then he said this, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is coming and he's about to deal with you guys. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not even fit to remove his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his thrashing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. So the bottom line is, is that he is saying that Jesus is about to come. And what is it that Jesus is going to do? Huh? Judge. Because it's always been a two-sided, two-edged sword, hasn't it? Always. And we've seen that. Always. Okay? As, as the proclamation has been made about this is how you get saved, what is also being made? If you don't get saved, you're going to be judged. That's exactly right. Always. That's always been the way it's been in the Bible. Always. And that's exactly what is going on here, is that he is saying, you better watch out. This is pretty serious stuff. And you guys had better clean up your act and not just be playing games. And that's all they were doing at the moment where they were simply playing games. Okay? Their confidence, these guys' confidence, obvious from what John said, was all wrapped up in Abraham. I am a member of the right family. Don't bug me. Okay? And Christianity, of course, has abolished all of those things, has it not? It's done away with them. And he said, look, we're all the same. Who you're related to doesn't matter. Who, where you come from doesn't matter. What you own doesn't matter. What you possess, what you do, none of that matters. What matters is that you are a person who belongs to Jesus Christ. Okay? And we need to be reminded of that every now and again because sometimes we get a little cocky ourselves, don't we? And Jesus said, hey, hold on. What matters is that you belong to me, is that I have saved you. That's what matters. Cling to that. Make sure that you understand that that is a pretty good thing and nothing beyond that. All right? Judaism, our quarterly says, was full of different kind of rituals. And ritual immersion was mandated before a person entered the temple area, as well as various other occasions. It was an external symbol of an inward reality. That's a phrase we'll visit again. Baptism was also used to initiate Gentiles into the Jewish community. We saw that. Other conditions were met. John's immersion embraced all these images, everything that was going on and more. But the fact that John baptized Jews was a sign that more was going on than a mere initiation here. John was concerned about the heart of the person. A baptism of repentance was a unique innovation that we see only from John the Baptist. This was a brand new thing for these guys to hear. By and large, by and large, what is it that the religious leaders and those that follow the religious leaders in Jesus' day believed that religion, their walk with God, their relationship with God came down to? By and large, it was simply doing what you're supposed to do when you were supposed to do it. Okay? That's what it is. So, we see this going around the world with other religions, right? When the, when, when the siren sounds, when the gong makes its noise, when the loudspeakers play the song, 
immediately stop what you're doing and do a religious thing. If you do that often enough and regularly enough, if you go to where you're supposed to go like you're supposed to do it, if you make a major trip once in a while and go overseas to this special place, if you'll read at the right time, if you'll say these words on this occasion at this moment, well, then you'll be right with God. Okay? Now, once we're saved, once we're saved, because we understand, as, as, as believers, we understand the importance of saying that it's by grace and grace alone. Once we're saved, what can be a tendency that we as Christians fall into? We let, let, let go? Who? Yeah, we think we don't have to do anything. What? We don't nurture the relationship. Those are good phrases. That's exactly right. We tend to jump through religious hoops. We become complacent, and we do what we do and say, I am right with God. Or maybe better we say, I'm where I need to be with God, or I'm friends with God, or whatever it may be. And it is not, it never has been, it never will be an issue of what we're doing. It is a matter of the heart. The heart! Grace will always maintain good works. You bet. Where's your heart? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is praying regularly a good thing? You betcha it is. But it is to nurture the relationship, not so that God will pat me on the head and say, Attaboy! You did good. Okay? And we need to keep that in mind. That's an incredibly important thing. So, you know, we read the Gospels and we see where these guys are. I just want to remind you every once in a while, we're not very far away from that sometimes. We need to be very, very, very careful on this. Okay? We need to be very careful. Well, I, I want to do one other thing here, so we need, to, we need to wrap this up. He talked about repentance. He was identifying with his people. Okay? And I want to read this from the quarterly, and then I want to go on to something else. In submitting to John's baptism, Jesus was not repenting. And we understand that. We've talked about that last week. He was taking his place alongside of those who do need to repent. He was radically identifying with his sinful people. He was saying, I will take my place alongside sinners. I will identify with them even to the point of dying on the cross so that they might eventually be set free from their sins. That's what Jesus was doing in his baptism. He was identifying with us. He was doing that. Okay? And that's a pretty cool thing. You can understand why John would have said when Jesus came, Nuh-uh. No, no, no. I can't baptize you. But Jesus said, Let it be done to fulfill all righteousness, that I might be identifying with my people as I need to. And, we'll see this next week, and it was an insignificant thing for Jesus as he began his public ministry, the confirmation of the Father was upon him. The dove from heaven came down, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son, in, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay? And as he was confirmed in who he was, and he was where he needed to be, that's going to sustain him as we go into next week's lesson about the temptation. Okay? And we'll talk about that next week um, and, and go into some details with that. All right? Yes, ma'am. I don't know. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not sure. Okay. I'll look up. What? Which was? 
There you go. So not named, right? Yep. Nice job, Joe. Appreciate that. Real quick, what I want to do for the couple minutes here is I want to take you through a basic uh, thing. This is what I do with everybody who's baptized. If you have not been baptized, you ought to be baptized. You need to be baptized. Okay? Now, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We don't believe that baptism increases your standing with God. We don't believe that baptism doesn't make you more special. Okay? There's not a line for baptized people and non-baptized people. But what baptism does is this. It is you identifying properly with Jesus. It is you obeying Jesus properly. It is you willing to declare publicly, this is what has happened to me, and I am standing for Jesus in this way. Baptism is a really weird thing, right? Those of you who have been baptized, you, you buy that? You, you go up here, you get down there, you, we put you under white, you come out, you're a mess. It's not, a, it's not a, normally what, how you want to be seen in public. And then you have to walk down the stage dripping wet, okay? It's kind of a weird thing. It just, it really is, okay? But it is an incredibly wonderful thing to make that declaration. And I want to challenge you that you ought to be thinking about doing that today. Go to Matthew chapter 28. This is a basic lesson that I go through with people when I baptize them. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First thing we learn about baptism, it is, it is a command. Thank you. It's a command. It's a command. This is what he said to do. And he gave us a formula of how to do it. The next thing is in Matthew 3. We just looked at that. Is that Jesus was baptized. And as believers, if Jesus does something, we maybe should do something. Follow in his footsteps. So if Jesus thought baptism was an important thing, Chances are, baptism's an important thing, and we ought to think about doing it as well. The next thing that we do is we go to the book of Acts, and I teach people from the book of Acts from a couple passages that the, the, the way baptism works is you're saved first, then you're baptized. The example in the book of Acts is over and over again, they believed and they were baptized. They were saved and they were baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were baptized. Okay, different terms are used. They're baptized. They're saved first, and then they're baptized in the Bible is what it teaches. Then we see, and I talk about when I do a little Bible study with um, especially young people, is we see that, that in the, the idea of baptizing, uh, being baptized, is declaring that Jesus is my Lord, that I am turning away from that and I am turning toward him, that I am saying you are more important than anything else, and I want to show this to everyone. And then go to Romans chapter 6. And the big deal, and our quarterly use the same terminology, the big deal about baptism is that it's an outward act of an inward reality. It is an outward demonstration of what has happened on the inside. Romans 6 says this, verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, immersion, is the idea of, it is, a, it is an example, it is an outward reality that this person who has died has been buried and they have been raised to new life, to walk in newness of life. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. You don't, you don't become more holy. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. But there is something special that goes on when a person willingly says, I will follow the Lord as I've been commanded through this thing called baptism. It is special. It is an incredibly wonderful thing. If you haven't done it, think about it. Talk to God about it. Consider it. Um, my first church, we went through our doctrinal statement in uh, Wellington years and years ago. And um, uh, we had a lady who was in her 80s. She was our organist. And uh, Esther came to me and said, um, the church I was in was formed from three different churches. And, and it really wasn't all that... Um, um, biblical in some of its ways, and we worked on that over the years. And Esther came to me and said, I've never been baptized. I like to be baptized. Right on, Esther. And we actually, we actually put a chair down in the baptismal tank, and I tipped her back on a chair because she was fragile enough. We were a little concerned. And I thought, if Esther can be baptized, what's stopping you? You know? One more thing here. I got two minutes. One more thing. When should children be baptized? And I'm asked this question every now and again. Um, there's, not a, there's not a magic age for this. But I have, some, I have some suggestions for this. And that's what they are, suggestions. First of all, it needs to come from the child, not from you. They need to be the one that initiates it. I want to be baptized, okay? And then you talk to them about why. And I've had people, I've, had, I've dealt with children sometimes, and I've said, why do you want to be baptized? And the answer that I get from children more often than not is, because I want to I live in heaven forever. Baptism can help with that. So we need to have a proper understanding of baptism. So before I'll baptize a child, they need to have a proper understanding of baptism. And the, the proper understanding, number one, is this doesn't save you. Okay? So they need to do it. And then the next thing I say is that they need to have that proper understanding of baptism. Here's the deal. I believe that kids should be old enough that they can remember, look back on, and say, I was baptized and it mattered to me. In working with camps over the years, there's way too many high schoolers that say, I need to be baptized as a high schooler. Have you ever been baptized? Yeah, I was baptized as a seven-year-old. Didn't mean anything to me. We need to make sure baptism means something to people. Okay? This rebaptism thing is not such a great idea, in my opinion. Now, every once in a while it needs to be done, and it's positive and whatnot, but, you know, it, this needs to mean something to you. So I think that, I think you're better off saying to your child, if there's any question at all, you're better off saying, let's wait. Let's revisit this in a year. Okay? And if they bug you and they continue to do it, then, okay, let's do it. But they need to have an understanding of it. That's why I go through the study and the parents go through it with me and them. 
We need to make sure that a child understands it. So you'll see that there are different ages when I baptize, and the reason is, is that some are ready and some are not, and the maturity and some different things like that. Um, but we want to make sure that our children are ready to be baptized. All right? So I, I would say that. Baptism is a real important thing. It's a really good thing. It's a positive, wonderful thing. Okay? And it's, it's awesome that people want to be baptized, and, um, and they want to stand in front of the group and publicly declare, hey, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty neat thing. And Jesus started the whole thing. Isn't it cool? I quarterly did a great, great job on this. If you haven't read it and you haven't, read that. Reiterate some of the things we talked about, and hopefully we'll be that. we got to go. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thank you that our Savior was willing to lead the way. To think that he identified with us in every way possible. Wow. We thank you for that. Father, we praise your, praise your name for the fact that Jesus was who he says he was. And we thank you that we too can follow you in obedience and baptism. And I just pray that you would grow us and convict us in this area, but not only in the area of baptism, but in, in the whole area of understanding that we ought to be like John the Baptist. There's Jesus. Look at Jesus. Life's about Jesus. It's not about me. Grow us in that area for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.